we mentioned a lot of other groups from the day uh, in our conversation today. Were there any other groups or bands that you guys kind of looked at and really admired and kind of emulated? And you know, how, how concerned were you with what others were doing when you were really locked in and doing your thing and being successful? Hmm. Um, me personally, I, as I was more and more developing my songwriting, I became more and more locked into not so much the group, but the guy behind the group who was doing the producing, who was doing the songwriting and the production. So I became a huge fan of Tom Bell. Um, I can pretty much tell you when that started. That started in when we first got with the Soul Children. At one point, we only had three records in the house. One of them was the Soul Children's record because we had to learn new material. But we had the round two album by the Stylistics and the Spinners LP, both of which were written, produced by Tom Bell and largely written by Tom Bell. And I and I listened to those records over and over again, just constantly. And at one point. I probably could have reproduced any one of the songs on that record because I knew all, not just the words and lyrics, I knew the horn parts, the string parts, you know, the guitar parts. I studied how the, how you would use multiple guitars and they'd be doing different things and how the drummer worked with the bass. I, of course, was studying uh, Maurice White and how he was doing his thing with Earth and Fire. Um, When Nile Rodgers came out with his stuff, I I I, I latched on to the stuff that Nile Rodgers was doing. You know, the, 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 now we, we already have our record deal, right? But he's like, what he's doing with his that stuff, you know, his guitar, and I'm like, that's I I like that. So I was find myself more in tune to who was producing what, and then there, and then and then as an offshoot of that, who they were producing. That, 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 that came later because I began to recognize where the sound was coming from. You know, um, trying to think of who else. Um, Now Rogers. Oh, and, uh, and of course, all, all the stuff that was coming out of Philadelphia International, you know, and, uh, and so, so not just Tom Bell. But, uh, Alfred Gamble stuff. Uh, yeah, Gamble and Huff, and how and how they would write their songs, and how they would put their their stuff together, and then as a result, anyone who they who they who, who they produced. Um, uh, the Chicago song, I like the the, the Shylights and stuff like that. So I was a big fan of um, them and the their their main singer and, and their songwriter. And I forget forget it, forget his name. Um, yeah, that, 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 that was, that was my focus. Fair enough. So the next, uh, record that came out, Love Shine, um, I think definitely could hear progression, you know, um, you guys were kind of stretching out a little more with some of the tracks, like, um, in particular when the feeling's right. Mm -hmm. Um, and still you had really catchy songs like So Easy and Shake and Dance With Me that were kind of in the fun 
mode, if you will. Um, but I remember when that record came out, sitting with some friends in high school and just, you know, back then was when you would isolate yourself and, you know, really like just completely dial in and listen to every part of the record and look at the cover and just get into it. And uh, I was very immersed in, in that album. What do you remember about creating that one? It's funny that you, those, those songs that you mentioned, all those are, 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 are Michael's songs, right? And Michael was really progressing in new in new chord progressions, and he was doing. And Michael, you know, like myself, was doing a lot of listening to the other people who were out there, you know, because we were always aware of keeping up with, keeping track of, and keeping up with the competition, right? And then trying to figure out how to turn what's currently going on into what's is going to sound like in function adapting what we're hearing into what fits what is now becoming the confunction groove right um and so michael started really getting into his funk chops on 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 that album you know uh feelings right and and of course of course some of michael's influences were uh uh, jazz guitarists, you know, like 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 uh, what was Wes Montgomery, right? And so Michael was learning new, different chord progressions. For instance, the chord progression of "When the Feeling Is Right." I don't recall ever hearing that chord progression anywhere else, <laughs> other, other other than on that record. Um, and then combine that with discovering what is simple and works you know other than other than other than the key change um chicken dance with me only has four chords right you know, this is, this is, and it's and it's and it's based and if you strip away the passing chords it's based on a one to four chord progression and michael michael admits that he based it basically on sugar sugar by the arches <laughs> right um And we were learning from 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 other groups, and and you know, and, and as we're watching, some some simplicity, simplicity works. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be complicated to be a, a great song. Although you know, Earth Earth Wind and Fire was certainly making it sound. I mean, they were certainly raising the bar for for other bands. You know, like um, uh, Jupiter. Uh, you know, not many bands were gonna <laughs> were gonna type as a top writer. Not many bands were. Oh no, nah, no, nah, let's, let's, let's go for something easy. Um, the whole record, all in all. Hmm. Oh man, yes. Um, and so I, on the other hand, was experimenting with the uh, new stuff, like like when we did make it last. Um, I was gonna say that was like the best. Well, the first, I would say, the first classic ballad for can function right yep definitely um and and for the first 16 bars is nothing but no first eight bars is nothing but an electric piano no percussion no nothing just piano next eight bars is just me and the piano and i was you know borrowing borrowing textures from a uh, from from my idols or earth wind and fire um i think there was another song called uh can't say can't can't say goodbye is that can't go away. Can't, 
Oh, don't go, don't go away. That was uh, uh, um, Cindy wrote that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, a. Wilson. Uh, 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 oh, Allie Wilson. Allie Wilson, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was one of the songs that, that Skip brought in. Um, she was a co-writer on several Earth, Wind & Fire songs, so, so that was our first time Skip oh, September. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Skip brought in the concept of, of outside material, right? Um, the theory of, you know, it shouldn't matter where the hit song comes from. You know, don't don't get hung up the fact that that you have to write it for you to be for you to be successful. So, you know, we we're quite open to it. We we uh, we love that one. The song I mentioned, I'm sorry, that was that was that was on the on the touch seat. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, uh, I, I wrote Love Shine and that, that was, that was me showing off my, what I'm, what I'm learning from Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, uh, that, 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 that whole groove and, 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 and women and chords that I was learning from Skip. I spent a lot of time watching, watching what he played on the piano. I'm like, oh, I've learned that chord, that F in the bass and you're playing an E flat major on top of that with the G on top. Man, I like that. And that chord popped up, or a version of it popped up in my next four or five songs. <laughs> you know. You really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, I see also uh, Sheila E. Uh, was playing some percussion on that record. Uh, part of the Escovito family has played on every one of our records. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Sheila E. Um, uh, her, her dad came in and played some stuff on uh, on uh, I can't remember specifically which ones, but yeah, we were, uh, loved having that 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 adding that feel. It, it was wonderful. As a matter of fact, she went on a tour with us uh, for our nineteen seventy nine tour of uh, uh, the one that, that we were headlining that, that I told you about. Yeah, she was our she was our percussionist. Wow, what a lineup. Oh, oh, she was amazing. I was, you know, obviously, before she hooked up with Prince, but no, oh, that girl was like, man. Yeah, I saw her, uh, must have been right around that time with George Duke. It was mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, but the next record, Candy, to me, I mean, that's my all time favorite confunction record. Um, Thank you. And uh, it's just got really strong material every level, you know, at the the funk, the ballads, the the mid tempo—it's just incredible. Um, Chase me, of course. Um, Let me put love on your mind. Maybe my all-time favorite confunction ballad. Thank you, thank you. Uh, just incredible. You know, did, did you guys feel like you just everything just coalesced on that record? We were we were now getting to the habit of doing demos. For every song, you know, as opposed to learning the song and then, you know, recording, we were actually the, we would actually go in the studio and do at least an eight-track complete demo of the song before, and that's how everyone would actually present their songs. They would bring their demo that they recorded. And we would sit down and we'd have meetings about, you know, with with song play. So, and and at that point, we had bought a uh, uh, a studio, 
uh, in Vallejo, the, the studio that we used to rehearse in, no, no, there used to be a record store uh, that had purchased the building next to us. So we, we bought that building. We called, you know, it used to be a nightclub called the Melody Nightclub. And we bought it and that became our rehearsal space. And we installed an eight track studio in there. Um, one of the things that, in my mind, that, 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 that really helped was that we would get into the practice of doing an, 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 a complete eight track demo of the song. And, and some of our demos were like, you know, by the time we finished the recording, it sounded pretty much like 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 the like, like the final final recording. <clears throat> Danny, for instance, had the basic chord progression for Candy, right? Da 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 da. Uh, 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 uh. So, uh, I remember he and I started working on. On, on the basic idea of that. So, you know, once we fleshed out the rhythm section, um, I had written part of the song, Mikey came in and he can, can contribute I think he came up with the, uh, um, oh yeah, Michael came up with the words for, uh, for the bridge. So the whole collaboration thing, especially now that we had a chance to record it and put it on, and, and, and put it on tape, um, and plus applying all the stuff that we were learning from, from Skip, right? And so to me, it was just becoming more like, like a fine, the, the fine-tuned machine that the people that we respected were. We could hear it on their albums. And, and I agree, that was, it was really starting to come together and, and, it, and it was getting easier. For instance, let me put love in your mind, that was, Kind of like my tribute to all that's the, the wonderful Izzy Brothers stuff that, we, that, that we're hearing. Um, and I remember writing it in terms of an OJ's chord progression that I'd heard with some Izzy Brothers stuff going on top of it. And it came out exactly as, as, I, as, as, I, as I first uh, first envisioned it. Um, Man, that was that was, it, it was exciting, and then and of course knowing that knowing that Skip was going to be coming in, uh, you know that once once we got the songs written, that Skip was going to be coming in, that made everyone, you know, step step up their game. You know, then you know yeah, we're not coming in and and, and going to rely on on Skip to make it good. We want we we want to impress him when he came in. You know, um, uh, yeah, not everyone can bring. You know the, the the true funk and also kill it on the ballads. Um, you know that combination. It's definitely one of the things that puts confunction in a certain you know rare air that only a few groups really achieved. Um, and um, we we've been fortunate. And and again, I keep mentioning our mentors, the the Ohio players, and Open and Fire. And even the Commodores had that down to a science where they could, they could do both. And we're like, yeah, well, we need to do both. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that was us again, just trying to keep up with, with our competition or you know, the, the people that we admired. You know, we just, that, that was our goal. We, we didn't want to be, we wanted to be like them. So we had, had to make. Is there a certain sort of indefinable, you know, 
thing that allows you to do a ballad, such as Let Me Put Love on Your Mind, where it still sort of has the same kind of soul and feel that you get with the funk, but it's a ballad. You know what I mean? It's still got that something that doesn't feel like real, like poppy and sugar coated. It's still got that oomph, you know, even though it's a ballad. Um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and tell you something. Uh, Leon, ha Leon Haywood. Remember Le Leon Haywood? Do something freaky to you? <laughs> yeah. Leon told us, and I'm going to quote him directly. Leon said, here's my theory. As long as someone else has a hit record, I'm going to have a hit record. And that was his quote. Exactly. Uh, and if you may recall, I'm going to do something freaky to you. It's almost an exact copy of Smiling Faces. <laughs> right? And so Leon was, and, and, and Alan Jones from the Barquets had a, had a similar mindset. Right? And so for, for us, and keep keep keeping that in mind. Since we played all these other people's records, you know, if someone was to tell me then or today, hey, I need this to have a specific kind of feel to it, kind of like such and such a song, it was easy and still easy for me to just go grab the essence of what makes this particular song work. And <laughs> You know, mix up some and 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 just and mold it to what I'm doing, right? And so, where if I take, say, the basic but not exact chord progression from this song, and what the bass and drums is doing from this song, and what the lead vocal are doing on this song, and the lead guitar work stuff from this song, you know. You're a chef. <laughs> right, right. And so it all becomes like almost almost like, like a recipe. And if the bass and drums from this song was a hit record and the blah 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 was a hit record, well, by the time by the time you've mixed it all up, it should work. Let me put love on your mind was one of those songs for me, where I've having borrowed elements and textures, not the parts. But the textures, but you know, but how the instruments are working together, and that was me just adding adding that craft. Okay, well, look, this is this works because by the time you combine these two and these two with my mindset or or Michael's mindset, well, now it's mine. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and but it still has that the, the the element that we were always looking to to not get get rid of. Even if if the song is meant to be funky, we knew where we knew where to get our funk from. We got to follow our funk roots. Everything that we learn from all these other people that we've been listening to and playing their music. Okay, we just apply that to what we're doing here. Kind of like any studio musician, all, you know, all, all the good ones, right? That you tell them you want a certain kind of feel. Okay, they just reel in all that experience that they've had. Okay, well, yeah, I know how to accomplish that. I can. Kind of borrow what I learned from this guy and blah blah. You know, so it's well. Let me just say this about that, Felton. Mm -hmm. You know, 
you got to know how to do that. It takes a lot of skill just to do that. And it takes a lot of skill and talent to be able to pull it off and create something new out of it. And, you know, the Barquets famously with Alan Jones did that. And although they have a lot of great tracks, you know, definitely to me, Confunction did it in a more consistently original sounding way than say like a Barquets did. Yeah. Um, Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You know, but it's funny that you mentioned the Isleys having some influence on that one because I always thought, even though it's one of my favorites, that Chase Me was the one confunction track that seemed to have the most Isley influence in just sort of that kind of funk. Okay. Wow. Because uh, I wrote the music for, for that and, and did the 8-track demo, and that was one of the, one of the first demos where, wait a minute, that's the only demo that I played drums on, and I, and I by the time I had presented to, to confunction, it pretty much, except for the horn parts, because my, 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 Michael wrote the horn parts. The track for Chase Me sounds exactly like the demo that, that I brought it in. And I was a huge fan of the Isaac Brothers because, yeah, we, you know, I think we used to play uh, For the Love of You. Uh, I know we played, um, hold on, what was that song? Uh, I said, I try to play my fight uh, power. Five, oh man, five, five, five. five when we were top forty band, that was one of our most <laughs> most requested songs, you know. Um, and so, at some at some point over the course of our music, some I I felt like I always wanted to pay tribute to folks that we. Spend a lot of time playing their stuff. For, for example, I'm, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. For, straight from the heart. Obviously, Philadelphia influenced in that, and I did it that way. I just, you know, I, I want this, you know, I just that's my acknowledgement to where some of my mentors came from. And um, yeah, I was kind of looking for that 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 raw raw, raw field. Thank thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> I gotta ask you before we move away from candy. Yes, sir. Fire when ready. Is there was there ever a longer version somewhere? Because I love that opening, and I always wanted a longer version. No, fire when ready happened as a result of us just jamming on stage. Uh, we went back and pulled up those old recordings that we used to do when we would always record ourselves. Um. As a top as a top 40 band and we and that was just something that we had all made up on stage uh that group that we would just stand up on stage and jam and, and jam to and we, we went back and got that just turned into and just turned it into an intro we grabbed 20 of our friends from Vallejo just come look just come have a party in the studio and that's literally what we look at there's 20 people standing around the microphone just ah, <laughs> just having a good time no, that was it was written specifically just, just just to be the little short just that little short piece. Well at least I know I didn't miss anything all this <laughs> <laughs> Right. So now you're like at the pinnacle of popularity. Uh, it's like 78, 79. Um, what was the uh, confunction show like at that? You know, we talked about some of the acts that you performed with. Right. If, if a person who, who wasn't able to go back then what might they have seen or experienced going to a confunction concert? Man, um, since 79, uh, that was when we did our first headline tour. We had Sheila E playing, playing drums. 
we went back and we and we and we borrowed stole uh the guy <laughs> who had done um ltd's stage presentation the name was winston davis and we brought him in to kind of guide us through some of these stuff that he taught with with ltd and his thing wasn't necessarily about choreography but it was about staging right so he taught us a lot about um kind of like how directors direct plays and how to call attention to what's supposed to be happening on, on, on stage. So he took a very almost the theatrical approach to not the music, but at any given point where the attention should be, you know. Um, and for instance, you know, how, 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 you know, we used to line up with, with the five guys in a straight row, you took two guys and, mo and, and move them back, right? So that instead of having that, what you used to call the picket fence, we were kind of shaped in it in a W, right? And then at some point we could left room. So we learned a lot from him. We also had um, a huge lit up confunction sign behind us that was automated and controllable by our light guy in the front. So that at specific times, it would light up specific times. I mean, it was, it, 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 it was huge. Uh, we had a stage set that we had, I think we had taken, gotten a hold of one of the Commodore's old sets and redressed it up. Um, we had bombs, explosions, smoke. It was, it was, it was, it was full bomb production. We were on stage for like, like 90 minutes, just sweating it out. It was. You had some flamboyant costumes too. Yes, we did. Oh, oh. Uh, a guy named Bill Whitten, who did costumes for Earth, Wind, and Fire, um, the Commodores. We went, we went, got him, had him design some costumes for us too, so we could be where we needed to be. And then it was, um, I, I, I miss it, man. It, it was a lot of fun, and it felt like we were doing it how it's supposed to be done. Again, I never lost that all for for open and fire and them, but at this point I, I I felt okay, well we're we're there. We're we're kind of, well kinda of in the same ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the fact that we we're headlining it, it was just um it felt like our 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 musical world and our, and our lives just, just took another step upwards. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. What was uh, one or two of the most unforgettable shows that Confunction did, would you say? Uh, I would say Atlanta, which is where we, there's, there is a video for Chase Me. We did the video for Ashley for Don Kirschman's rock concert. We did the video because we could not appear there in person. And he allowed us to send in the video instead. But we filmed the video, part of the video, the night before we did the concert in Atlanta. So, and so it's, it's, we were wearing the same outfits that we, that we were wearing the following night. Uh, I remember that one specifically. Um, just because the just because 
the energy again for the whole thing. Oh, and remember, I used to tell you, I used to stand on the stage and watch the guys who came on after us. I also made a point of standing on stage, stage and watching everyone who was coming on before us. So every night I would sit there and watch the Gap Band and McFadden and Whitehead and, and, and those guys were like, I loved watching them, just, just their energy and, 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 and how they interacted with each other and the audience. And uh, Anita Ward at that time had the number one record in the country. As, uh, Ring my uh, bell. Ring my bell. Um, that's, again, that's me being a student, learning from, learning from everyone, right? Uh, um, I remember there was a remember that old poem that was called the Desiderata. Remember that? Um, one of the lines of that poem said, "I always remember that there are always be greater and lesser persons than yourself." Right? There's something to be learned from everyone. Right? You gotta always maintain some humility. Uh yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I remember Atlanta. Um, and anytime we went overseas, all, all, uh, uh, to Tokyo specifically, and I, I, I love, love playing in Tokyo, uh, there's been little bits and pieces that reminded me of, of what made concerts stand out. For example, I do remember playing in Phoenix, Arizona. And here's why I remember that one. That one. Um, we were doing the song Baby I'm Hooked. And I would jump down from the stage in, in between the barrier and the audience, right? And I would walk along the barrier singing, singing to ladies, right? You know, as, as I go along and then make my way back up on the stage. And some guy thought it would be a fun idea to grab my wrist and keep me from walking. And and so I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and I you know, shook his hand and he wouldn't let me go. He had grabbed hold of my wrist, big, strong, burly guy, and I could not move. And I'm trying to pull it, but I didn't want to stop singing, right? So I, I just kept singing. And as soon as I got a break, I knew I had, you know, a couple of seconds, I took my microphone and went, bam! <laughs> <laughs> and hit his knuckles with my, with my microphone. Okay, so he let go now. All right, so that's that's where I remember Phoenix. <laughs> I remember Albuquerque, New Mexico, because the promoter decided to be cheap and put the lighting guy not out in front of the audience, but he put the lighting guy on the side of the stage over here, right? And we weren't carrying our own lighting guys, so we were dependent on them. And this guy didn't really know what he was doing, right? Because... At the end of every song, he would make the stage completely dark. And Michael is standing there talking to the audience, and he would keep the stage dark. And he would keep it dark until the next, next song. But at this particular point, Michael is talking, and I'm saying, Spotlight! Dark. Uh, sir, Spotlight! Michael is talking, and this is totally dark. So now I start to walk toward him, right? The stage is dark, and I didn't see, I forgot that there's a monitor in between me and him. It didn't dawn on me, but I'm walking in the dark toward him because I'm going to talk to him. 
and I tripped over the monitor. Scraped up my leg, and I'm now sprawled out on the floor. So guess when he turns on the light? <laughs> turns on the spotlight. Guess where it's pointed? <laughs> At me. Okay. Um, I do remember playing in Tokyo uh, one time. Playing in Tokyo, I mean, and, and, and it's a small stuff like this. Uh, we were sitting up, we were playing in Club Mugen. Lewis was 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 doing something back uh, on the drums, and we heard this loud noise. And Lewis had fallen off the stage. He was back. He was like ten feet up in the air. Last time I saw him, ten feet up, and look back. Lewis had fallen off the drum kit, back in between the uh, the riser and the curtain back in the back. So I remember I always remember that. Um, I remember Jackson, Mississippi, because we were playing. Um, hold on. As we're talking about mishaps. I know, right. <laughs> uh, we're playing Jackson, Mississippi, and we're about to play this song. Oh, this, oh, oh, we're opening up for uh, uh, the Commodores. Not opening, but Taste of Honey is the opening act. Taste of Honey, Confunction Commodore. And of course, you know, you know, all of us had crushes on the girls and Taste of Honey, wanted to impress them. And this is like the second night of the tour, and we're going to do Make It Last, right? And so we had this big choreography thing because you know, Mike put down the guitar, said he put on the bass, and we had five band choreography thing going on for the first day bars because nothing but piano. But in the middle of now, now there's 10,000 people out in the audience. And I'm doing this, and I said, wait. He's playing in the wrong key. Damn. Okay, so I break out. Now, I'm, I'm center stage. So I break out of my car, and I walk over to Danny. And his keyboard is facing the band. It's, it's not facing the audience. His keyboard is facing the band. So now I'm standing with my side to the audience. Right? Dang. You're playing in the wrong key. Huh? Dude, you're playing in the wrong key. Oh, <laughs> and he stops playing. It's dead silence. There's 10,000 people out here. There's silence, right? And then he starts playing again. And again, my back is to everybody else. And he starts playing again. Okay, it's the right key. Cool. So I'm remembering the choreography. So I'm figuring that everyone else had started all over again. So I have time right. I did this beautiful move when I spun around. And by the time I finished my spin, Everyone else had left the stage. <laughs> it's just me and 10,000 people. <laughs> um, I didn't wait for the whole intro. I just started singing. We made it through. But yeah, it's, it's stuff like that that makes me remember specific concerts, the, 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 the funny well, stuff. Well, why, did they, why did they leave the stage? Was it a prank or what was going on? No, because they, they weren't sure what to do. And I remember Michael saying that, you know, I, I had to walk past, I had to walk past Michael. Guys, I had to walk past Michael going this way. And when he saw me go this way, his next move is. <laughs> and everyone else just, and everyone else just followed him off the stage. You're like, oh, shoot, something's messed up. Felton's got this handled. Let's go walk off stage until it's time to play music. So. <laughs> wow, that's like the beginning of your solo career. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
but that, that was the at this point the um, other than the other than the, the little mishaps and stuff. Watch stacks is still the biggest. Mm. That's 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 that was that was the big one. You know, that's hard to top. Yeah, that's historic. That one. Yeah. Um, Felton, I'm going to just combine the next two records uh, to 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 include them. Um, Spirit of Love and Touch in uh, 80 and well I guess they both came out in 80 you, you came out with two yeah. records in one year that's unbelievable those were the days right yeah but yeah. Um, Spirit of Love had got to be enough which was another great hit um, up tempo um, I like I mean the whole record was great but I mean some of my favorites were Happy Face and Honey Wild and um, just lots of great stuff. Um, and I noticed Patrice Russian was was on this one too. So, um, and then Touch, which in a way was sort of like a sequel because it was closely timed with this record and the sound. To me, was very consistent across those two records. Yeah. Um, but Touch had two tight, fantastic song, uh, Ladies Wild Touch. The title track was great. Um, but unless I'm mistaken, it looks like Skip Scarborough was no longer around for Touch. So, okay, we did Touch first. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. We did Touch first, and okay. Skip initially uh, had issue with the song Touch. The song had, I'm going to say, mild, mildly suggestive lyrics, mm -hmm. and Skip was a very spiritual kind of guy, and he just and and the group felt really strongly about the song, right? And so we're like, yeah, well, you know, we, we can make this happen. So we just went in the studio and just, you know, ourselves, you know, made it happen. We were and we were happy with it, you know. Um, he came in later and then, you know, said, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. And I'll I'll work with you on some of it. Um, but we still had contacts with the people who did the Hornet Stream arrangements, uh, uh, Benjamin Wright. Um, I believe did some uh, 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 arrangements for us. The guy named David Crawford did some arrangements for us. Uh, but I had run into this guy named Gary Jackson. Um, and one of my close friends from the Commoners tour, who was not who was then living with me, is uh, his name was also Gary Jackson. So differentiate between the two, they were Fat Gary and Skinny Gary. <laughs> Fat Gary is the guy playing bass on Touch. And the co-writer, he's also the guy playing bass on "Ladies Wild," and the co-writer, he's also the bass player on Two Type." Gary was one of the intimidating kind of bass players, right? And and we went ahead and used Gary because Gary had a whole slap bass thing and precision that Cedric just to put it bluntly, didn't have yet. I'm going to add the word yet. So we just threw Gary on there, and Gary's used the word magic. You know, Gary had this just this magic thing going on, and especially since he wrote the bass lines for Touch and Ladies Wow, that was, you know, that, that was that was all him, and then the original demos were him playing the bass and me playing playing guitar. And so those those two songs are very so talking about Lazy Wild and Touch. 
are very guitar orientated. Yeah, Touch is probably one of the harder sounding songs that you guys have done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 I and I literally owe that all to his bass playing because the reason it was just a, a was a drum machine going two, two, and he just played bass on top of that. And man, just just that alone was like, damn, <laughs> you know. And I just added some guitar, you know, that you know, very simple you know, guitar parts, and that the bass really spoke for the, you know, for, for the entire song. The synth too was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was fun. Just uh, you know, once once we walked in recording the studio, it just came. It, it was fun. I think we knocked out the entire song in four or five hours. I mean, yeah, it was you know. Everything just, just seemed to, again, we were still in the process where we would always cut the demo first, right? So we had that, you know, what the carpenters say, uh, measure, me measure twice, cut once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we already measured, <laughs> measured twice. So, you know, we already had a really good idea of what we were going to do once we got in the studio. And it just, man, it just, it just literally fell together. And we were able to, take all the stuff that we had picked up from Skip and hire the Hornet Street Rangers that we got down 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 in LA. And um I, I think I think we did a res respectable job, you know. Uh the, but the record Felton did have more strings than you guys used before, right? Yeah. 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 Um and we had a lot more input from the other guys in the band than we had from from uh, the previous three records, I think I think Michael and I wrote all of not ninety five percent of the touch of the Secrets LP. Cedric contributed on on um, uh, Indian Summer Love, right? Um, and so everyone's you know started the process of of, of starting starting to contribute. Now, and I was so, but I was so glad to get Skip back for you know. Uh, spirit of love, you know, it was really nice having him back. Um, Why was he out of pocket for touch? Oh, because he had an issue with the song touch. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That, 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 that he just, you know, he was like, no, I, I can't. If that's the kind of songs you guys are doing, I, I, I can't be involved in that. You know. Okay. Well, you know, we got this. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but, I misunderstood, Felton. I thought you were saying initially that Michael had trouble with it. Oh, oh no, oh, oh, Michael was all in. No, everyone, you know. Okay, so all, Skip, all oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, Skip was the one who had uh, issues with uh, touch and um, that uh, too tight in particular. Like, really, was a lot of interesting parts to it. Um, too tight is one of the songs that Michael wrote. Again, I'm um, we'll go back and say where. Cheryl Lynn had a song out called uh, Got, Got to, to Be Real. Right. So Too Tight was one of those songs where, you know what, let me borrow the essence or some of the elements. And this is Michael. You know, this is how we thought. Let me borrow some of the essence of how that, how that song is. And then even once he brought in Gary to play the bass, man, the song just, you know, with just Michael playing guitar and Gary playing the bass, it was just, you know, yeah, you know, uh, 
And sometimes, you know, with, with writers, you know, if you, 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 you if you got a killer track, sometimes the lyrics just, you know, come easy. And that's what we wound up with. So uh, um, Michael, those right elements coming together, you know, the, 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 the right musician playing the right part, um, you know, um, the drums working in, and then, and then once we put on the strings and horns, we flew, flew down to LA and I, and I was there um, to watch the, the, the string horn section. And we used the earth, wind and fire horn section. Now talk about a thrill, man. That, that, I'm like, man, I'm like a kid in the candy store right now watching all this happen. Uh, for, for, for both touch and um, uh, the stuff we did on the touch album and for the, uh, um, got to be enough specifically on touch uh the guy who did this the the uh Hornet string arrangement had only written it for the three minute single version but we seen him all six six minutes of the recording right and so here we are we got all these la cats in over here you know this is costing us twenty five hundred dollars to have all these la cats in, here in the room we're like no we needed the arrangement for all the, that additional two minutes at the end. And he's man scratched his head for a minute. He went over to the piano and wrote this down and he scratched this out, had out some new parts, man. He came up with some stuff on the spot for them to record. And we went ahead and recorded the rest of the string session and stuff for, for the rest of the song. It was like, man, he was up. I was so impressed with that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact about having What song was that? It might have it might have been got to be enough. Uh, we recorded the horns down in LA again using using the open fire horn section, and then they gave me they gave me all the horn. But so confunction, yeah, confunction is not our horn section. That's not that's that is not us on the record. Um, and when they handed me the sheets and the charts for that, I was like, man, I, <laughs> I can't I can't play this. Uh, and the uh, and when the string players were playing, I, I, it might have been it might it might have been um, uh, got to be enough. Was up in San Francisco and I was watching that, and there was a the uh, the concert master, the, the the lead violinist player, and they're getting warmed up, and he's running over their parts, and there was a girl behind him looking at her sheet, and it was like. And I looked at it, man. This bunch of looks like a bunch of ants on their way to a picnic. Just, just, yeah, yeah, just, just notes, yeah, you know, you know. And she was, and I was sitting there watching her. She was looking at her sheet music, going, <laughs> "I can't play this." And he runs over it, and they go over one time, and he says something to say, "Okay, so well, we're gonna need to tighten up the section, blah blah blah," because I'm hearing someone back here over here, and he's using his bow to point back over his shoulder. And he's pointing right at her. Is that now someone back here is having some issues with that? So let's go with that again. And everyone's looking at her, and now he can't see her, but she's sitting in my hand going, oh. uh, "Exciting, exciting stuff." We brought in Patrice, and uh, you have the liner notes in front of you. I think her name was Karen something to sing backgrounds on on by your side. Um, 
and I'm sorry, and, I'm, and if I ever see her again, I'm going to apologize to her. Uh, the only people listed here are, are Lynn Davis. Lynn, 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 it's Lynn. Lynn, Lynn. Lynn used to also sing backgrounds for George Duke. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's her singing I Want You For Myself on the George, George Duke song. But um, this, is, this, was, this was specifically song for the song By Your Side. Um, on By Your Side, uh, I played all the instruments on that track. And, and initially I had done six tracks of background vocals and the decision was, no, Felton, it sounds too much like you. <laughs> so when you do something, you do something else. And when we tried adding some of the other guys' voices to the background parts, it actually did, it, 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 it didn't match, it didn't work. So that's why we got the idea to go get Patrice Russian and Lynn to come sing backgrounds and take off some of my background. It worked, worked beautifully. That was Skip's idea. And Skip was you know, his, his usual genius self, you know, you know what to do. Uh, By this point, you guys had strung together so many hit albums and songs. I mean, incredible role that you took into the 80s. Um, did you guys start to feel sort of invincible at that point? Mm. Every album was a challenge. Um, no, I, I personally don't remember if you, if you know, because it was starting to feel like it was getting harder, as a matter of fact, because now we had all this stuff behind us and we had to just keep the train rolling. We couldn't just say, okay, well, yeah, we're cool. You know, the audience will not buy anything. No, no, we gotta keep improving. We have to keep, you know, at, at bare minimum, keep keep where we are and, and, and not go backwards. So we we would have this process, this whole process of, you know, folks would do demos whenever and however they could. At that point, I bought my own equipment and I was doing demos at home, you know. Um, and some of the guys would come over to my house and and and, and I'd work on their stuff with them, stuff with them. Um, but at the beginning of every album, starting after Spirit of Love, it was all about, oh, hold on, let me go back, Spirit of Love. We had a song called Curtain Call, right? Curtain Call happened the same way that Secrets did for the Secrets LP. Skip was in there just playing this groove. All right, come on, Skip, we like it. We cut the groove, same exact thing happened. We cut the groove, cut the track. I took this home, wrote the lyrics, came back for it, cut the lyrics, uh, and, um, to get out of LA to do the horn string arrangements and call it a day. Um, but we were now, I mean, we would have to sift through 30, 40 songs so that we could pick the best songs for the album. Um, Did that ever get contentious? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to fight for yours, right? Um, I do remember specifically we had one group meeting where we're seven guys. We operated as a democracy. You know, some guy would bring up a guy, an idea for a rule that we should live by, and then we would vote on it, and then it becomes law, right? So one guy said, well, 
Here's the idea that no matter who wrote a song, that the song should be split equally seven ways. And I'm going, no, that doesn't work for me. And Michael, at this point, uh, Michael and I being the 80, having written 80, 80, 90% of the songs, Michael, I no, it's not gonna work for me. <laughs> not gonna work for me either. And you know, some of the guys were saying, "Well, this, well, well, the Barcades do it." And I was able to say, "Well, look, wait a minute. I've been in the studio with the Barcades. They out, they, 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 we sit down and write all this stuff together. If I've sat at my house, and by the time I've, and I've brought you an entire song that I've sat here and laid all the parts for, it's kind of not fair to me to have to split this seven ways." Oh, no, no, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the meeting, what I do remember saying was, I, I, you know what, tell you what, gentlemen, I've, I'm changing my vote. I think it's a great idea. And, of course, Michael's looking at me. What the hell, man? Are you crazy? I said, no, no. I, 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 think, I think it's actually a good idea. Let me decline this call. So I, forgive me. Um... I said it's a great idea, uh, but I do need to let you guys know. No, I will. I will no longer be writing songs for Confunction. I'm gonna start taking my stuff and give it to other people. But I'll be more than glad to sit back and collect my one seventh of whatever y'all do. That law did not get passed. <laughs> They're like, man, man, that's messed up. And on on if I'm not mistaken, the next album was the Confunction Seven album, right? And this this is where this conversation took place, and where it got and where it started to, 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 to get contentious. And then came the suggestion for the rule that we that everyone in the group should have a song on the album. Now, on the surface, that sounds I'm going to say fair, right? But this is the music business, and we're not here to be fair. We're here to be successful. We're here to be the best that we can be. And I, and as, of course, I voted against that. I mean, I mean, because, and and I was saying, well, well, no, because if you if you're telling me that no matter what, if I only bring you one song, no matter how good or bad it is, you have to take it. Well, now the quality of our record is going down. You know, you know, we've gotten this far because we've had to compete with each other for, for, for the best songs, and as a result, we end up with some, with, with good stuff. I mean, let's not let's let's not take let's not go backwards, so that we can be fair. You know, I, I, I I'd have been willing to give up. You know, if 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 Skip had written five hit songs, I'd have been willing to find. Hey, these are hits. We need to be doing this. And, you know, doesn't matter to me. Who wrote it? Because if it's if the album is full of hit songs, more people are going to buy the record. More people, you know, that means we get to go out and tour more. We get to raise our price. But dude, it works out. Trust me, it'll, it'll be fine. You know? um, they, they, the entire set is okay. Well, okay, yeah, it felt you're right. You got a good point. So when we when we did the final vote, it wound up that everyone had a song on the album. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, and um, I slept on it and came back the next day. I said, "Gentlemen, 
if we did this right, then this should work. Let's take a list of every song that made it and compare it to every song that got turned down. Let's start with song number one and compare song number one with every song that got turned down. If it still stands on its own against all the other 20 songs that got turned down, then we made the right choice. Okay, fine. Let's, now let's move on to number two. By the time I got down to song number three, the guy who wrote the song said, okay, you got it, you know. And then he busted the other four. Um, the other five members had gone back and had a separate meeting and decided to alter their votes to make sure that everybody had a song out. Right? So then, okay, well, now, now, that, now that we're busted, let's have a real vote. So, so I mean, there, there, there were some really good songs that, 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 based on the initial vote, that weren't going to go on the album based on who wrote it. For instance, Straight From The Heart had gotten, ended up on this side, we're not gonna record it because it's more, because at that point, it was more important to have, to be fair, <laughs> see what I'm saying? Um, it almost wound up being a disaster, but you know, I think uh, Straight From The Heart wind up going back on, uh, If You're In Need Of Love wound up, wound up going back on. There was one more, I can't, I can't remember which one. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, Michael and I were making a lot of money from 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 from, uh, from publishing and, and all, all all the songwriting, you know. And um, I understand, you know. Um, on the other hand, it was allowing Confunction to get to where we were. You know, that's, that's it was because we had such strong material that we were able to, to sell gold records and, and platinum records and go out and charge as much money as we did and go out and tour. You know, I think had we, had we did it some other way, we, we, ne we never would have gotten to that position. Well, as you say, Straight uh, From the Heart was a, the, the big hit on that record and uh, another classic ballad in the Confunction canon. 